Today's episode is brought to you by Whitney Manny. Whitney Manny is a ready-to-wear fashion and textile designer inspired by the aesthetics of street art and cultural movements. Through her independent fashion label, Whitney designs bold fabrics to create wearables, including accessories that embody color, pattern, and texture. Visit WhitneyManny.com to learn more and use offer code WMPOD to save $10 off your order of $50 or more. Thank you so much, Whitney. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 171 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a business and rug hooking with my guest, Amy Oxford. Amy is the owner of the Oxford Company in Cornwall, Vermont. She's been making punch needle style hooked rugs since 1982, when she worked as an at-home rug hooker for McAdoo Rugs, a cottage industry in North Bennington, Vermont. She worked as a traveling rug hooking instructor for 26 years and also started a teacher certification program. After developing carpal tunnel syndrome and tendonitis, Amy worked with an engineer to develop her own ergonomic rug-making tool, the Oxford Punch Needle, which is now celebrating its 25th anniversary. In 2013, Amy settled down and started her own school, the Oxford Rug Hooking School in Cornwall, in a 200-year-old farmhouse. Her work includes everything from dollhouse rugs to a room-sized rug and a stair runner. She's the author of six books on rug hooking, including her latest, Punch Needle Rug Hooking, Your Complete Resource to Learn and Love the Craft, which will be released in the fall of this year by Schiffer Publishing. She lives in an off-the-grid wind and solar-powered home in Cornwall, Vermont. Amy Oxford, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk with you and to hear about your really long and interesting and winding career. It's been so, it's just so been so interesting to do some research about you. And so I'm so excited to talk with you. And I know you were born in Long Island. You're not um, a native Vermonter. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up. And I know you also spent some time in your childhood in England. Yes, I was born in Long Island. And um, when I was 12, my family moved to London, England, and I lived there from when I was 12 to 18, from um, 72 to 76. And what did your parents do for work? um, My stepfather was a businessman and went over um, with his company, and um, my mom stayed at home as an American. Um, In Britain, she wasn't allowed to work. She couldn't even volunteer, according to her visa. Okay, so she and so did you do creative things as a kid? Were you artistic and interested in creativity? Oh, yes. Um, 
I, um, I've always loved to sew, and my mom taught me needlepoint at a young age. Um, I was born with an eye condition, um, nothing serious, but a lazy eye, and I had to have eye surgery twice and patch um, my good eye to make my lazy eye stronger. And one thing that I had to do was to um, thread teeny seed beads with just my <laughs> lazy eye. And I found I just loved the quietness of sitting and creating um, by myself. I did a lot of jewelry making as I got older. Um, my senior year in high school, I got an independent study project and made a quilt. Um, yeah, so I've always really loved making things. Nice. And so when you went off to college, did you want to become an artist or did you study something different? Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I went to Bennington and they offered so many things there. I was able to, you know, um, study art and drawing and sculpture and pottery, but also environmental studies, um, religious studies, dance, choreography. Um, I just wanted to try everything I could. Um, I played the flute and um, took voice lessons. I just, it was an amazing opportunity to try everything. And after two years, I really wanted to learn to weave. So I um, left and taught myself to weave and worked um, making different things and selling them at our local state craft center. Now, if I'd known that you could go back to school um, to somewhere like RISD where I could have studied weaving, I would have just been in heaven. Um, but I did take a month-long um, class at the Northern Vermont School of Fiber Arts, and oh, I just loved it. And I've known I wanted to be a professional craftsperson since high school. Um, I just wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Okay, so you were weaving um, and enjoying that. And I'm wondering how you first came across punch needle rugs, because clearly this has been like a career long love affair with punch needle rugs. And, um, and you've, you know, made that your home. Um, but so how did you first see one? And like, what did you think when you first came across them? Well, I saw them as a child and loved them. But my um, best friends at Bennington College um, were friends I met by accident, I answered an ad on the college bulletin board for a babysitter. Um, everything I owned when I moved back to America was accidentally sent to Tehran. I got oh my gosh, <laughs> I got an Amer uh, Iranian woman's two trunks and she <gasps> somehow got mine. So I arrived in America with nothing, you know, just a little overnight bag. And I was so homesick. And so adrift that, you know, nobody goes to college to be a babysitter. But I answered the ad and um, it turned out to be Cynthia and Preston McAdoo. And oh. Preston at the time was a car mechanic. He um, was a painter. And after um, several years, he took over his parents' um, rug cooking business, McAdoo Rugs. And I saw his first prototype rug and just completely fell in love with it. It was so beautiful. It had everything I loved about weaving. Um, 
you know, the texture and the yarn and the fiber and the colors, but um, I could draw and I love to draw. So I asked for a job <laughs> right away and they hired me as one of their um, rug makers and we, we made the rugs in our own homes and I've been doing it ever since. So you, you essentially needed a job as a babysitter and then answered an ad randomly and mm-hmm. were hired by a company who's fi- by a family whose family business owned a rug hooking company. That's correct, but I didn't know any of that. I just, it's amazing how one little decision, yeah. you know, one little decision can just change your <laughs> your whole life. And you know, we we became very good friends, you know, before they took over the business. Um, and yeah, and their family. So just tell us a little bit because. Um, the McAdoo family business is also like sort of plays an important role in American rug hooking anyway. So can you just tell us very briefly, like what their business was, um, just so that people kind of know. Yes. Um, well, Cynthia and Preston McAdoo, um, were sailors and they were, um, sailing up the um, coast of Maine and they, pulled um, ashore, went ashore, and Mrs. McAdoo saw some women selling hooked rugs on the side of the road, and um, she said that they weren't very attractive rugs, and that she thought if they had um, something more beautiful to sell, they could do so much better, Um, and it was was quite a, a poor area, and so she went home, she learned to make hook rugs, um, learned to dye yarn. She was um, a very creative and talented, gifted artist. And she designed rugs, made kits, put them all in her station wagon and drove back up to Maine and slowly found people who wanted to make these rugs. So it was started um, to give jobs to um, an underemployed area in Maine, um, to help people. Wow. Right. Okay. And so that was their, that was their family business that you ended up working for. Yeah. Yep. So, so Cynthia and Preston's son, Preston, um, took it over and his wife coincidentally is also named, um, Cynthia. So (laughs) they, um, they ran the business in North Bennington, Vermont. And in their heyday, they had, over 50 rug hookers working for them, um, a dozen designers. They were in a beautiful red mill, 200-year-old mill, and um, they made rugs for, you know, sort of the who's who of America for movie stars and, you know, rugs for two different um, presidents, a rug wow. for Camp David. Wow. They, yeah, they made a, um, a, a fried egg rug for Mary Tyler Moore's kitchen. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, so they just made the most beautiful rugs, um, and they um, sold in shops all over the country. Um, They opened a shop on Lexington Avenue for a while, and um, Preston went to different rug shows. Uh, Individuals would um, have a, a rug, sort of a rug party, a rug show, and Preston would come with a, a carload full of rugs and usually um, 
a portion of the money would go to the charity of the person who was putting on the rug show. So it always had a philanthropic um, aspect to it from the beginning, but they were very quiet about it. You know, it was um, it was very um, very modest and um, not boastful about what they were doing. They're just an amazing. Yeah, and it, company. and it always employed these people who worked out of their homes, including you. Yes, yeah, it was great because you could work at home, you know, if you had small children at home. Right. I had a baby at home. It was perfect for that. Yeah, it was a great job. Yeah, so that's such an interesting company, and that's how you got your start. So I just think that's such a great story and um, and really great. So thank you for sharing a little bit about that history, um, because I think it's important for people to know it. And, and, um, and so the kind of rugs that you were making then, those and, the, and that McAdoo was making, those were punch needle rugs. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So just wanted to sort of clarify because there's a lot of, there's other kinds of sort of rug hooking that, that people do. Um, just for, just so that people who don't really know this, this kind of craft all that well. Um, there's, there's rug hooking that can be done with strips of fabric and things. And, and actually punch needle was sort of considered cheating or considered to be sort of lesser, um, for a period of time and, and sort of not considered to be, I don't know, the right way to make a rug. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so traditional rug hooking, as it's called now, started in the 1830s in the Canadian maritime provinces and New England and a crochet like hook and a wooden handle was used and, um, either strips of, um, used clothing or yarn were pulled up through a backing like a gunny sack or a burlap backing to form uh, loops which made the the pile of the rug and that's how um, the first hooked rugs were made and in 1881 a farm machinery manufacturer named Ebenezer Ross from Toledo Ohio invented the first punch needle so here here was Mr. Ross post-industrial revolution trying to find a mechanical tool to get the same result. So the first punch needle, um, actually, instead of pulling up loops with a hook, punched down loops um, with this tool. And it's fascinating because there have been over a 100 different punch needles since then, all with different ways of trying to figure out um, how to push a loop, you know, and the first one had coils and springs and, you know, levers. And um, now they've gotten much more simplified. So they're just a wooden, um, wooden handle um, with a, a channel in it and a metal needle. So there's been a long history of trying to make a better a better mousetrap, so to speak. Right, right. And yours is in that history. Your your yeah. tool is is a, a part of that history. Okay, okay. So people understand that, and and I know, and we're going to talk a little bit about about your teaching um, career and how that began. But but I understand that when you started to to teach or to give presentations and things that that there was even a time when when some of like the older women um, that you you went to teach. 
uh, or give a presentation to like boycotted your presentation because, <laughs> because you were giving a presentation about punch needle where they were like more traditional rug hookers and they kind of were snobby about that or looked down on, on punch needle. Yeah. Well, punch needle, it just wasn't known. Um, traditional rug hooking is what everyone knew. When I first um, advertised in rug hooking magazine in 85, I was told that um, less than 8% of their readership were punched. So it just, it wasn't known. And it had a bad reputation for being ugly with, you know, ugly designs with bad materials and, you know, synthetic yarn. And um, so I kind of made it my mission to give it some, some respect. Um, yeah. And I, I was, um, um, thwarted on a sort of a regular basis, but it, it really didn't bother me because I had only seen the gorgeous McAdoo rugs. And so I could, I could hold my head high. Um, and it's so exciting because it's come such a long way and, now gets the respect that it deserves. Right. And I think it really shows that, you know, if you use good materials and you have sophisticated design, then whatever you're doing can be elevated. You know, that's exactly how I feel, Abby. Yes. You know, yeah, that's 100% true. So, okay. So you, um, you began um, teaching and let's talk a little bit about how that happened because it seems as though you were kind of pushed into it and, and it wasn't really something that you were like, I'm a teacher. You were sort of, um, <laughs> they needed somebody to do it and, and nobody wanted to raise their hand. And so you sort of ended up doing it. That's exactly what happened. Um, McAdoo Ruggs got asked to teach um, a class at the Vermont State Craft Center in Middlebury, and that was um, closer to me than anyone else. And no one wanted to go, especially me, but they said, you have to go. You live the closest. So I, I went. And what happens um, when you got there? Well, um, I was um, really surprised as I started teaching um, that I I loved it, and I really felt like an imposter in the beginning, and they kept asking me questions, and, you know, all day, and I thought at first, oh, they think I know what I'm talking about. Right. And, <laughs> and then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I, think I, I do. do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and it's such an um, easy craft to learn, and it works up so quickly. It's sort of instant gratification um, with wool, really. So it was so much fun helping people, and they were so excited that their enthusiasm was really contagious, and I just, I loved everything about it. I want to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, Whitney Manny. My name is Whitney Manny, and I am a fashion and textile designer for my own label, Whitney Manny Fashion and Textiles. So my work is really inspired by street art, streetwear, and cultural movements. So everything is really bright and fun. I do a lot of hand processes like dyeing, airbrushing, and then digitally manip manipulate those fabrics to create ready-to-wear garments and accessories. Oh, that's cool. So um, what does your line consist of right now? Is it like what, what kind of pieces are in it right now? Right now, um, I mostly have been focusing on the accessories lane. So that's been doing really well. I think it's easy for people to see something that's really bright and fun in the form of a bag or earrings because you can mix it into your existing wardrobe. 
Right now, I am working on a collection that I hope to have up by fall. Wonderful. What's like the favorite, your favorite piece that you've ever made? Uh, my favorite piece, um, it was a series of like motorcycle jackets that I made from digital print fabric. Um, and they were convertible. So each jacket had 12 separating zippers and you could zip off different parts of the jacket and like mix and match the patterns. It was a lot of work, a lot of zippers, but I love it. Wow, that's super cool. And how did you learn how to create fashion and how to sew like this? Yeah, I uh, originally taught myself how to sew at 13. I am six foot, so I've been tall for a while. And my biggest grief was having to give away my clothes because I would just wake up and I would be two inches taller. Um, So that's where my love of sewing came from. I went on to go to the Kansas City Art Institute, where I received my Bachelor of Fine Arts and Fibers. And that's where I kind of honed into the textile and surface design part. Wonderful. Um, And is this your full time gig? It is. Um, So through this, like I operate my online store, do wholesale. I also teach and freelance. Wonderful. And where can people check your your clothes out if they want to sort of see what they look like and learn more? Yeah. Um, so my website is WhitneyManny.com. I'm also on Instagram at WhitneyManny and on other social media platforms. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Whitney. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Whitney. And now back to my conversation with Amy. So with Punch Needle, essentially what you're doing is it's almost like you're painting, right? So you draw an outline, you know, with a pen or a pencil or something like that on on almost like a like a canvas sort of. And then you're just um, punching to kind of fill in that space. And if you do make a mistake, you can pull it out. Yes, it's it's the most forgiving craft I've ever done. It's really easy to pull out. And one of the things I love about it is that it's it's very painterly. Every other fiber art I'd done, um, whether it was needlepoint, knitting, counted cross stitch, weaving, to get a curved line, you're working on a grid and you'd have to go up, over, up, over, up, over to get a curve. And with um, rug hooking, you can just punch freely in any direction. So it's a very um, fluid design. Right. Um, So after you did that one class, um, did you then start teaching more regularly or did you seek out more teaching gigs after that? Um, I mean, sort of how did you build your teaching career after that? Well, what what I did was I wound up getting divorced and I needed a way to support myself. And I decided to start a punch needle rug hooking um, business, selling supplies and kits and making custom rugs, doing commission work. Um, When I started teaching, I realized that there were only five um, people, places teaching punch needle rug hooking in the whole country. And there was only one um, store, the George Wells Ruggery in Long Island, New York, that was selling supplies. So I bit the bullet and took out a loan and started my own um, punch needle business. And that involved teaching. Um, I went 
to Preston McAdoo before I did that, um, sort of to get his blessings. And they weren't selling supplies or kits um, at the time. And I'll never forget, he was so sweet. He said, oh, he said, you come on down. We'll tell you everything you need to know, you know, where to get monk's cloth, where to get the best scissors, where to get yarn, you know, 100 pounds at a time and that kind of thing. And that's really the spirit of our rug hooking community and the spirit that I've tried to pass on is one of um, sharing That was incredibly generous of them to be not to be sort of, you know, kind of protective of that information. And so that was Red Clover Rugs, correct? That was that Yeah, that was was Red Clover Rugs. And uh, that was in 1985. Okay. Um, And that was a mail order business. And also, and did you have like a brick and mortar retail shop as well? It started in a little... um, room in my house in Moncton. And um, after that, um, I bought a house in Bristol. And my daughter and I lived there. We lived upstairs. And the rug shop was downstairs where I taught and sold our supplies. And uh, the rule was that no rugs were allowed upstairs. Got it. So Red Clover Rugs was there, and then I moved to Middlebury. I had a chance to be resident artist at um, the State Craft Center I keep mentioning, um, Frog Hollow. So I, I moved there, and that was really exciting. Nice. Okay, and so you did a lot of teaching there, and that's kind of um, a, a, another way that you sort of built your teaching career. Yes. I taught there, and from the very beginning – Um, I taught at a wonderful craft school, Fletcher Farm School for the Arts and Crafts in Ludlow, Vermont. And it's the oldest residential craft school in the country. One of the the first um, trustees was Robert Frost, the poet. Oh, wow. Um, So it's a wonderful school. So I taught there every summer for a couple of weeks and just had the best students And just, you know, as a single parent, I taught everywhere I could, anywhere I was invited. I made, you know, commissions. I made rugs to sell um, at different galleries. Um, (laughs) I just, I did everything I could with every aspect. You know, we sold supplies. I um, designed a line of kits. And, you know, I was looking back at it, and my very first catalog had a dozen um, kits and a dozen um, finished rugs that you could order, and I thought, how did I do all that in six in six months? You know, with a little girl, and then I realized, oh, this was before the internet. You know, this was before emails, and you know, when you could just work focused on just (laughs) one thing. Nobody was like pinging you constantly and there was no Instagram (laughs) trying to distract you from everything. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, yeah, so it's what's really interesting too is that you, it sounds like you really like did every like way of of diversifying your income, you know, like you had a brick and mortar, you had a you had a mail order, you were making finished goods, you were selling kits, you were selling supplies, you were doing like everything that you could do to generate income from this idea of, of, uh, you know what I mean? Um, And then you also, um, did you also have other people hooking rugs for you? 
Um, when Red Clover rugs got a little bit bigger, I did. I actually had five um, people making rugs for me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, um, so doing some commissions, I mean, it was like, wow, this is really, um, you know, you were, you were like artists in residence, you were doing like everything that you could do, um, during this. I was, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, when I started, nobody was making punch needle rugs. I mean, when I taught a class, um, say I had, you know, eight people in the class, one person might love it and go on with it, you know, and they would buy a little yarn from me. And I pretty much built up my whole customer base, you know, from nothing. And then those people started teaching other people and their families. And it, it just gradually spread, um, and, and grew. Right. Because there was basically no customer base. (laughs) So that's really right. It's really interesting too, because this niche is so, was so incredibly small. Um, and there's something to be said about being, you know, the big fish in the small, very, very, very small pond, but it's a very small pond. (laughs) So, um, so that's interesting. And then, and then in 1995, you sold that business, Red Clover Rugs, um, to Barbara Benner, and she moved it to Oregon. Um, to talk about that process, like how did you connect with her? Was she a former student or how did you go about that? Because so often I feel like in craft, people don't sell their businesses. They just are done and then they just are done. You know, they don't do anything with it. And I feel like that is really too bad. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was heartened to hear that you did actually sell it and that somebody took it over. Yeah, I always felt that that business was something that I was building, um, and I I always felt that I would that I hoped I would be able to sell it um, when I retired. Um, but it just happened sooner than I thought. I um, I it just got too big, and I I wasn't happy. Um, um, and uh, Barbara Benner was one of my students. She came and took my teacher certification course and absolutely wonderful really talented um rug maker terrific um person and um i mentioned that i was interested in selling it and she um she took it over that's great um and let's talk a little bit about your certification um your teacher certification um uh, portion of your of of what you do so and that and this is still this is still something that it sounds like you you're running so although during the pandemic well, <laughs> it's maybe on pause but but um you you created this teacher cert this Oxford teacher certification um system and um and so so how did you come up with that and and how does that work <laughs> well pretty much everything I've done has just been sort of with a lot of nerve, you know, and, and false confidence, you know, really. I mean, just to say, I'm going to start a teacher certification program. Um, I did it because there, there just were so few people teaching, and I didn't know if anyone would come, but they did. And it's a, um, a week-long program, a, a 60-hour intensive program, and we go over everything you need to know not only to be the best rug hooker you can be, but how to um, be the best teacher you can be and also how to set up your own business, you know, selling um, the supplies and if you want to, um, making rugs for sale. And 
um, yeah, it's just it was a, a chance to to spread spread the craft and help people um, to create their own businesses if that's what they wanted to do. That's fantastic. So that started in 1994. Do you know how many people have gone through it so far? Um, we have at this point 115 Oxford certified instructors in the U.S., Canada. Um, we have an, an Oxford instructor in Germany, one in Ireland, one in Wales, and um, one in Nottingham, England. That's fantastic. Wow, that's really impressive. And talk about making that very, very small pond that we talked about bigger. Um, that's the way to do it, you know. So, and and also just to give people those business skills too, to be able to to make this into something that can support them. Um, it's really wonderful. So um, that's I really I'm I'm admiring of that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Oxford um, Punch Needle Tool. So. Um, we, we referred earlier to, to the fact that this tool, um, is one in a, in a long history. Um, and, and how did you, um, come to create it? I know you, um, had some physical strain with tendinitis, um, and, 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 um, carpal tunnel. And, and so were you, you know, just sort of dreaming of something different or, or how did this come about? Well, um, so when you're making um, these rugs, a bigger rug takes hundreds and hundreds of hours. So you're sitting there punching away with this, you know, repetitive motion and you're holding the tool for such a long time. You can't help but thinking, oh, I wish it was this or it was that instead. And I had one with a plastic handle and I thought, oh, I really wish it was wooden instead because that would just feel so nice in your hand. And the tool I used had two holes to thread. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice just to have one hole to thread? And um, I um, have to push down and pull up with this tool. It's just a constant pushing down to make a loop and then pulling it back up. And I thought, boy, I really wish I had a bigger shelf <laughs> to push down on. And I wish I had a bump in the middle to pull up on because it was the tool I had was kind of like a pencil, so you just held it the same way. And I knew I wanted a tool that would allow you to use different hand muscles for pushing up and um, pulling up and pushing down. So you have a lot of time to to think about, <laughs> you know, what would what would make it more comfortable. Okay, and so you were kind of dreaming of this, could envision what it would look like. And, um, and then my understanding is that you kind of didn't keep this dream to yourself. You, you were, um, cause you know, I think a lot of people would, would sort of secretly, you know, start designing it or something like that and, and be pretty protective of the idea. But as you mentioned earlier, you really, um, were, you know, in this community at McAdoo where, where people really shared, information. Um, and you enjoyed that and appreciated that. So did you share this idea with others? I shared it with anyone who expressed the, the remotest, you know, am amount of interest, you know, when they'd ask about the tool and how I liked the tool. And um, I have always felt that if you put something out into the universe, um, you know, that it's generally a wonderful world and that good things can come 
back to you. So I, I would mention it. Um, you know, gosh, I've always wanted my own punch needle. And if they were a puncher already, I could say, you know, yes, I want the wooden handle and they'd concur. Wouldn't that be great? And so I mentioned it to at least 100 people. And um, the 100th person said, oh, well, my husband is an engineer and he likes helping fledgling inventors get their products off the ground and um, it's his hobby to do this and he he does it for nothing and I, I just couldn't believe it true to her word that very week um, they were in touch and I told them what I wanted and by the next week I had prototypes in my hand and because I could visualize it so clearly I was able you know to try it and say oh could you please change this a little or change that a little and we took the prototypes um, to McAdoo Rugs. We wound up with two favorites, and everyone tested them. And um, we voted on our favorite, and that became the Oxford Punch Needle. And one of them looked like a queen chess piece and one like a king. Is that right? Yes, they did. That's right. That, that became their nicknames, the king and the queen. Okay. And the queen won. Yes, the queen won. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. And so, so then once you had this, that's amazing. And, um, and once you had the, the queen, um, how, and, and it's got this wooden handle and then this metal, right, this metal shaft, um, how did you, um, how did you get them manufactured? Cause it's one thing to get a prototype made. You know, somebody could, could maybe make that in a, a, a wood shop and a, and a metal shop of some, I don't know, of some kind, but, but then to get them actually made, you know, that's, that's a different story altogether. Well, we were very lucky that part of what the engineer did was he was able to find us a, a wood turning, um, mill that would make the handles for us. And he found a tool and die company for us that um, made the metal needles. And he knew that it should be electro polished stainless steel because that would, you know, glide through the backing the best. So he helped to set that up. But um, my plan was always that we would assemble them ourselves. So we had those two basic parts and then um, tweaked them and did little things to them and glued them together. And um, yeah, we assembled them all ourselves. Okay, so the pieces are made at two different places in the US and then they're shipped to you. And then you assemble them at your kitchen or you did assemble them at your kitchen table for many years. Yes. Yep. Yep. And we did indeed. Okay. And for how long did you did you assemble them at the kitchen table? Uh, we did that for for nine years. That's amazing. Okay. So for nine years, you assembled them at the kitchen table and then shipped them out. Um, and and um, and that that I think that's really remarkable. And so um, I would love to to talk about um, about. Boku and about Aruna um, from Boku, if we could, because I think that um, I think that she has had uh, a real influence, interestingly, on the popularity of punch needle and also on the popularity of the um, the Oxford punch needle in particular. Um, and and so, I mean, I know we were talking about Instagram as a distraction earlier, but I do think in some way. Instagram has also been really fantastic, um, I would guess. So, so let's talk about what happened. Um, what happened there? <laughs> um, from your sure. pers- from your perspective, uh, yeah. Just just tell us that story. 
Well, I will never forget the day because it was the day my granddaughter was born um, three years ago, June 16th. And I got a very nice email from Aruna saying that she had just posted a short um, video using my punch needle and that had been um, really popular and would I like to partner with her. And um, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, And um, I... Um, really didn't think about it much more because I was on the train at the time when I got the email and um, um, just wrote back and said, you know, let me know what you have in mind. And I put it out of my mind. But when I got back to work on Monday, um, my employee, Heidi Whipple, looked at me and her face was stricken. And she said, we've gotten orders this morning from all over the country. And we might sell like one punch needle a day. And we got orders for 35. So that was that was big for us. Right. And um, the the um, video went viral. And um, we basically sold out um, overnight. Um, We sold a couple thousand punch needles overnight. And um, quickly um, made more and sold out another couple thousand overnight. And it was really exciting and also uh, really um, <laughs> flabbergasting and also really upsetting. You know, I didn't know what to do. I, I called my daughter in tears and said, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and um, I was just sitting on the floor in a little heap saying, what? what the heck are we going to do? And she's like, mom, mom, calm down. This is a good problem. People want this problem. You know, so she talked me through it and, um, we, um, hired someone to help us. You know, we had no, um, really, um, modern day inventory control. We were so small. We ordered a thousand handles and a thousand needle points at a time. And they came in two boxes. And when we sold one box worth, we ordered more. Um, so we had to get organized and, um, I called my handle supplier and told them what happened. And I'll never forget it. Um, Aaron practically started crying too, and was just so happy for us. Um, it was really miraculous and it's the kind of thing that only could happen, you know, in the age of social media and, Aruna, she's my hero. You know, it's remarkable how one person can change someone else's life. Yeah, it is remarkable. Completely. I, I mean, mean just, just, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is. One person changed your life way back when, um, when, when you first stumbled upon rug hooking. But again, yep. the, you know, this happened again for you. And, um, and I think it's, I, I really can't be underestimated, you know, um, the, the power of uh, a partnership like that. Yes. And, yes. Um, and it, it's really, and also the power of influence, you know, of, 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 of somebody's audience. Um, it's, it's really, it's really incredible when it, when somebody strikes it right. And, um, and she was really able to help bring that craft to light for so many people. So, and to bring your tool into so many people's hands. And that's really a huge gift. And, and since that happened, um, I mean, it's one thing, right, for a single video to go viral, but what happened later? So, like, has that demand kept up? Have you been able, you know what I mean? Because sometimes what can happen in a business, right, is you have a huge surge, you build out infrastructure, 
um, an inventory for that surge and then it dies back and you're sort of like left with all of that and then you know what I mean and 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 there's sort of like a letdown yes well um, I just I was chuckling to myself because it's it's just been phenomenal um, my feeling about the whole thing when the tool was discovered was that I didn't want to compromise quality for the amount of quantity that was needed. And it took our suppliers a while um, to get up to speed. And our sales grew 420% um, overnight. Now, mind you, we'd been pretty small to begin with. But um, just to give you an idea, you know, the the first year in 95, I sold 369 punch needles and I knew just about every single person. Um, I sold one too. Um, when Aruna discovered us, I was selling, you know, maybe a thousand punch needles a year and I was perfectly happy with that. Um, it, it didn't die down. Uh, it was just, it was so exciting. My, um, customer base and students, you know, are in their forties, literally up to their 90s. Um, and now that I'm on Instagram, I can see that my followers are 25 to 35 years old. And what Aruna's done um, is she's introduced it to a whole new generation of um, rug hookers. And because she's so cool and so talented and so artistically talented, she's made it hip again. You know, she's She's made it cool, and it just keeps growing. We ship to um, 64 different countries. Um, last year, we sold um, 27,180 punch needles. We have over um, 30 different stores waiting to carry the punches. Um, uh, we have right now a, a minimum of what you can order, and then... You know, the the pandemic, of course, has thrown a, a curve into all that because it's taking longer to get the supplies. But we've done we've done nothing to grow. It hasn't faded out. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And, um, you know, it, it happened organically because you had a really good tool. And I also think it happened not because you were an overnight success. And I think that that's also really important to realize here, right? Like this is, this tool is celebrating its 25th anniversary. And I think a lot of people might think, oh, Amy's got a brand new tool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not, that's not the case. Like this was developed because you truly understood this craft and truly knew what would make this craft better and more fun and easier and just how to do this well. And we're able to develop something that would actually work well for people and got, and, and so, you know, in that way, it's quality, right? It's quality. And, and I think, um, I think that that's important to point out. This is no overnight success. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. You know, we- we weren't ready for the <laughs> for the number of orders um, because we we never even thought that way. But um, we were definitely ready for all the questions and all the um, you know the information part of it, the information people needed, and 
um, I started doing uh, YouTube tutorials um, to help, um, you know, people learn how to do it and yeah, to support it. Absolutely. And so you have um, a new two book contract with Schiffer. Um, you have written books in the past. Um, and this book, this first one is an updated version of the book that's kind of the comprehensive how to do this craft. Um, and it's going to be coming out this fall. It's called Punch Needle Rug Hooking, your complete resource to learn and love the craft. Um, so um, just tell us sort of in a nutshell what this book is going to contain, because I think a lot of people are going to be excited to get it and then to get an Oxford tool to go along with it. It just seems like a great um, kind of companion piece. Sure. Yeah, I was thrilled to be asked. It's just a really exciting opportunity to prevent the craft in a new way for a new um, generation. And it starts with a, a quick guide, which is a little um, book within the book showing, um, you know, in a nutshell, the basic things you need to know to get going. And then it's got different projects that you can try starting with, um, you know, a really easy, great beginner project. And then just working through slightly more advanced projects. And even if you don't want to make, um, you know, any of the projects, you can just follow along with the pictures, you know, to see, um, you know, an easy and fun way to to build a a project. Wonderful. And then the second book is going to be more advanced techniques. Yes, I'm really excited about the second book. I'm working on that now. And there are so many things you can do with punch needle rug hooking that I'm really excited to share. Um, you can punch with fabric strips. You can use all kinds of novelty materials. You can make three-dimensional pieces and um, bags and, you know, lots of, of fun things. And the book will be um, how to do these advanced techniques and the Rugs and some of the techniques will be contributed by um, myself and also Oxford certified instructors um, who do such wonderful work and really innovative, fun, um, sort of cutting edge um, work. So I can't wait to see what they submit for um, great new ideas for the craft. That's fabulous. So exciting. I'm very excited to see both of those books. Um, that's terrific. And um, and before we get to your recommendations, I did want to mention that um, you ended up purchasing the McAdoo um, like pattern library when that um, business um, closed. So that's pretty cool that you actually now own those and are putting those online. Yeah, I was really excited to get to do that. Um, the McAdoo's retired and um, uh, a couple bought the business and sadly they had to close and I was able to purchase all the patterns at auction and there are over a thousand um, patterns. So uh, we've been going through them and um, cataloging them and getting ready to put um more online a little bit, a little bit at a time gradually. Right. So I think that's wonderful, too, because that um, sort of library of of American folk art that they had that treasure of, uh, you know, you're you're preserving. And so I'm sure that they would have been really proud that you were the, you know, inheritor of their of, of of their artwork. So that's wonderful that you're doing that. Um, 
So yeah, and congratulations on the 25th anniversary of your own tool. That's great. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I want to get to your list. Um, thank you for sharing. So there's, you have so many neat stories, Amy. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I love it. Um, but uh, I do want to get to your recommendations. So I know we are going through um, such tumultuous times right now. And so um, your recommendations are very um, sort of calming and um, centering. And so the first one is working in your perennial garden. And I'm, I have to admit that I'm a pretty terrible gardener, but even I have been working in my garden um, recently and helping my daughter plant her own garden too. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing. Oh, well, I had a friend help me um, make my um, perennial garden at home a little bit bigger and plant lots of new plants that she um, pulled out from her garden. It's just been wonderful because I don't even know what most of them are going to look like. So just being out and puttering every morning um, has been um, very calming. And I love gardening as a rug maker because it's it's very similar, you know, getting a balanced design, you know, putting a little of this color here and a little of that color there and getting textures, um, you know, um, but the thing I love about gardening is, well, with a rug, you know, when it's done, it's done. And with a garden, you design it and then it just takes off on its own. So that's true. That's- yeah. Good point. And um, during this virtual schooling, uh, when we've been separated from our teachers, my daughter's teacher um, had us go to her house. She lives a little ways away from us. And um, each student got a time to come. So we would be separate. And she gave us um, three plants from her garden. And we got to bring them home. She wouldn't tell us what they were. They're mystery plants. She promised no <laughs> no invasive species. And so we planted them in our garden. And so they've been coming up. And one of them had a very beautiful purple flower. I have no idea what it was. Um, anyway, so they've been growing. And it's kind of fun that we have a little piece of her garden in our garden. So that's what's brought me into the garden recently. But What a lovely thing to do. I know. She's got a great teacher. So... That's been good. Um, and then you've been going on long walks with your dog. You have the kind <laughs> of dog that I want to get if I can get a dog, which is a miniature long-haired Datsun. That's exactly the kind of dog I want to get. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, we've been going for lots of walks. Um, is yeah. it a boy or a girl? Uh, it's a girl named Lily. Oh. And, the you know, the world is just so in turmoil right now and um, it's just nice to be able to go out because nature really hasn't changed. That's exactly I what I say. It's like you go outside and it's yeah. like the birds don't care. The birds are still like, yeah, yeah we're fine. We're like, <laughs> you know, we're still birds. <laughs> yeah. just, there's something really like comforting about that, you know? I don't want to stick my head in the sand, but we all need a little bit of that you know, relief. Continual, yeah. just like everything's still going, you know, it just it helps. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then being reunited with your family, with your grandchildren, it sounds like you really um, have some comfort in that after the um, the stay home um, order has lifted in Vermont. Yeah, that was the hardest part for me. And um, it was just so happy to get to see um, them again. They're um, two and four. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so. that's great. I know it was really hard for grandparents. It's been really hard. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoy talking with you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoy talking to you too. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Whitney Manny. Whitney Manny is a ready-to-wear fashion and textile designer inspired by the aesthetics of street art and cultural movements. Through her independent fashion label, Whitney designs bold fabrics to create wearables, including accessories that embody color, pattern, and texture. Visit WhitneyManny.com to learn more and use the offer code WMPOD to save $10 off your order of $50 or more. Thank you so much, Whitney. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.